0: morning, church. Uh, my name is Stephen Petiti. Good to meet you all. I know you've met my dad last week. Um, just a little bit about myself. I uh, teach Bible for a living. I, I work at um, Berean Christian High School over in Walnut Creek, um, where I teach Bible. And I also work at Central Peninsula Church, where I'm part of their teaching team. So I'm so thankful that you have invited me back. It's been a few years since I've been here. And so so thankful for the opportunity to worship with you and be a part of what you're doing here. Um, and the question that uh, we're looking at today as we look at the Gospel of John um, is a question that I think many of us have faced in life. Uh, I know I have I've faced this many times before, especially as someone who teaches a Bible for a, living, for a living. I don't feel like I should be the one having this question, but there are many times when I'm going about my day, going about my work, and I'm trying to be faithful and raising my children and loving my wife and, you know, teaching students and ministering, the question creeps up. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? It, it is, am I doing this right? God has put me where he has me to be an impact in the community I in, I'm in, but I don't see every day this, this massive impact happening. And so it leads me to wonder, is my faithfulness enough? is my faithfulness good enough? And I think as we reflect on this passage, we can identify things in John's story that we can also apply to our story. I think uh, we learn something about who John is and how he lived his life, and I, I think part of what we can glean from this is that God is working through us. God has a purpose for putting us where he has us, and even though it doesn't always feel that way, as long as we remain faithful to God, he will work through what we are doing. And so I think that's what we see here today, and so I'm excited to share this with you all today. A little background on the book of John. I I don't know where the church has been. Um, I know my dad spoke on another letter last week, and so um, just a little background before we jump into John. Um, John writes differently than the other three gospel authors, and I'm sure many of you already know that, but um, I think uh, one commentator said it this way. I think it's really important to keep this in mind as we read John. He said that many gospel authors will communicate stories about Jesus, but John does it just a little bit differently. Instead of just a a quick, like, word that, you know, oh, this is smart, this is deaf, this is a unique Thing that the author's communicating, John paints portraits. John, uh, he, the, uh, the commentator, compared him to Rembrandt, where he won't just tell you a story about Jesus, he will put intentional things in every stroke. All the words are important, all the things that he's saying are trying to communicate something deeper. If you've ever heard a song that really stirred your affections or or you've seen a painting or you any type of art where the longer you linger on it, the more you see about it. And I think that's what, what we see here in John is as we look at this, I think there are layers to it. John is communicating not just something about John, not just something about Jesus, but he's communicating something in the bigger picture of the entire Bible. And he does this, and it, it comes through meditating on what's being said. So I think we should jump in and look at what it says. And we're going to first start with kind of the first level. And I think we want to keep taking it down as as we continue to meditate on what John is saying. So again, he begins, um, and it says in verse 19, that this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, they asked, who are you? And John confessed and did not deny But confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. And I think it's very important first, I want to point out that John is very aware of what his role is. It's easy for us to see something like the the Jews were waiting for a Messiah to come. They were waiting for a Christ to come. They were waiting for a prophet to come. And these people come to John. They see the impact of his ministry. And John didn't take the bait. He's not here saying, yes, I am that person. He's not elevating himself. He knows where he is. He said, no, that's not me. There's somebody else. And he realizes that his ministry is not primarily about him. Is not primarily about him gaining glory. It's not pr- primarily about him having success. It's primarily about his faithfulness to what he's supposed to do. And so the, the people who were sent from the Pharisees, they continue to badger him. They say, okay, so then who are you? We have to send somebody, we have to send some word back. So who are you? Tell us who you are. And John says this about who he believes he is. In verse, 23, in verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John realizes his role is not to save the world. It is not his, that, that's what the promised Messiah was going to do. He's going to come and save everything. And instead of Thinking that was his role, he knew, he identified that what his role was, according to the prophets, according to who came before him, was to prepare the way for the Lord. And as we meditate on that, I want to say for you, in your life, in your job, where God has you as a student, wherever you are, in your homes, raising children, whatever it may be, God has you there. And your job is not to solve all the problems of the world. Your job isn't to make all the things right. That's God's job. What God has called us to do is to make straight the path so that people can get to him. We are there to establish and and. And plant seeds, and we're there to, um, as Paul says, he, he was there to plant, and another person came to water, but ultimately it was God that caused growth. And so we're just making straight the path. We are not ultimately the ones who are going to be saved, saving. We're not ultimately the ones who are going to be so. So, my first bit of encouragement again. God has put you where you are, and even if it doesn't seem like you're getting the growth you want, even if your kids are rebelling, even if things don't seem to be going the way, you're just faithfully making the path straight for God, as he will come and work in what you are doing. The story goes on, and it says in verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Now, I want to point out something here as we take this to the next deeper level, I want to point out something that came earlier in John chapter 1. If you go back to John chapter 1 verses 6 and 7, I think there's an important comment made that helps us understand this part of John a little more deeply. In John chapter 1 verse 6 and 7, John says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So John is the one sent from God, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all would believe through him. Now, I think it's important here because if you look at John uh, 1, 6, and 7, it says that God sent John into the world. And then if you jump down to verse 24, we have sent from the Pharisees another group of people. And we see in in verse 7 that John was sent to bear witness to the light. And we have another group coming sent from somewhere else. And so the question is, where are these people from? And I think the imagery that uh, that we're seeing here that John is hinting at is that John is sent to witness to the light. That is his witness. And these people sent from the Pharisees are witnesses of the darkness. These are who are opposing the work of God. And in case, I, I know this, this might seem like I'm reading a little bit into the text. I, I just want to build this case a little bit because I think this follows through the rest of John. If you um, go on to read in the future John chapter 3, uh, Jesus will meet a Pharisee. And it specifically mentions that that Pharisee comes in the darkness. He comes at nighttime. Again, I think the Pharisees are being portrayed as people who are in the dark who don't understand. That's why they are constantly asking questions and constantly coming to the wrong conclusions. Then Jesus in chapter 9 will heal a blind man. He will take that person from darkness into the light. And then the whole story of John chapter 9 isn't about the healing of the blind man. It's a 41 verse chapter. And only seven of them are about a guy being healed. The rest of it is about that guy arguing with the Pharisees because the Pharisees are in the dark. They don't understand the light. And so what I think we're seeing here is John setting up this image that he's going to continue throughout the rest of the book, that there's going to be this fight between light and darkness. The darkness does not want the light to come in. The darkness wants to stay in the dark, and that's why we constantly see the Pharisees challenging Jesus throughout John's gospel. There's this constant opposition. And what I want to say as as the first point was, we're going to be faithful where God put us. The second one is, when opposition comes, that is to be expected. If we're bringing the light to our community, if we're bringing the light to our family, if we're bringing the light to our workspace, there will be opposition. That opposition always comes. But we have to remember, as Christ said, the the darkness will not overcome. The light will win out. And so John, knowing who he was, is, is firm. He says, I am not the Christ. I'm just the voice crying out in the wilderness, making straight the path. That's where I am. And I'm going to stay faithful in what I'm doing. And I'm going to trust that no matter how hard I work, I know I'm not going to save, but I know that God one day will come. He will, he, will walk the path, or he will walk behind me and work in what I'm doing to accomplish what he intends to accomplish. And I think we see that here. When uh, in verse 25, they ask John, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah or the prophet?" They're saying to him, you're not supposed to be doing this. That's not your job. You're not supposed to be the one fighting back the darkness. You're not supposed to be the one bringing the light. But John is firm. He says, I baptize among you, but there's someone else coming. And I'm just getting ready for that other person coming. John is firm in what he knows he should be doing. And he knows even when the darkness comes, he's going to stay faithful. And I think for us, we can learn from John to continue to be faithful in the same way that John was faithful. And so third, I think, as we read verses 29 through 34, which is the end of this, and I know when you're looking at your Bibles, it divides it into two things, but I want to say that I think verses 19 through 34 go together because there's a consistent theme about baptism and the significance of baptism. One of the things that I've learned recently is that when an author repeats a word over and over again in the Bible, that's usually what they think the point is, or that's usually where you will find the point. And and if you um, read 19 through 34, it's constantly talking about baptism. And so the question is, what is the significance of baptism in the story? So I want to pick up in verse 28, um, and I want to read this. All the way through 34, and then I think we we can try to glean something from these last several verses. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan. Uh, I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, uh, underline, highlight, whatever you do, color, um, over across the Jordan. And that's where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Another important line. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water. The reason I am doing my ministry, the reason I am baptizing with water, is so that he would be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, is, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have bore witness that that man, that he is the Son of God. John realizes that his ultimate purpose is to point people to Christ. And again, that's the the consistent thing I, I think the passage has been saying is we are pointing to Christ. We are preparing the way for Christ. But I think there's something even deeper John is doing here. If you'll notice, when John responded to the Pharisees the first time, he said, I am the voice crying out, in the wilderness. John is in the wilderness. We know from the other gospels, that's where he was. He was wandering around in the wilderness. And then in verse 28, it points out that this was happening across the Jordan. And so with those two details in mind, and, and knowing that this is all ultimately pointing to Christ, I think what John is trying to do here. In, in these details that he's just leaving behind, in these brush strokes, as we were talking about, a Rembrandt portrait. In these brushstrokes, I think what he's doing is trying to communicate something. And what I think he's trying to communicate is that John is uh, one in the line of biblical stories. And there's another biblical story, if you may remember, where there was a people in the wilderness on the other side of the Jordan. And the people in the wilderness on the other side of the Jordan were the Israelites. And what they were hoping to go into at the beginning of the book of Joshua, at the end of Deuteronomy, they were looking over the Jordan from the wilderness into the promised land. Their hope was that they could get across this water, get into the promised land, and there they will finally find rest. They will finally, after 40 years be at peace or even 440 years if you count their time in slavery they were they were they were eagerly looking for a place where they could finally rest and so i think what john is communicating is that in the wilderness that people are going to travel through water as the Israelites traveled through the Jordan River to get into the promised land. And so what John is doing is he's in the wilderness baptizing people or having them go into water and come out to the other side into new life. And that new life comes through Christ. What I think he's doing is he is comparing Christ to the promised land that the Israelites found. And again, I know that might sound weird to some of us, and so I really want to make sure that I'm making this point so you don't think that it's just me, it's something that's in the Bible. If you actually turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 4, I think that the author of Hebrews makes this same point. Because in the book of Hebrews, what is happening is the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of, and he is greater than everything that was in the Old Testament. And so he starts by saying, Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better. He's greater than any angel there ever was. And he's better than the Torah. He's better than all those things. And then he comes to chapter 4, and he begins making this point, that Jesus isn't just better than, or I'm sorry, the rest that we found in, um, in the Promised Land was good, but Jesus is better than that rest. So if you look at chapter 4, verse um, 8, it says this. For if Joshua had given the people rest, the Israelites rest, then God wouldn't have spoken of another day later on. So even when God was talking to Joshua, he said, you guys are going to get to the promised land. But there's a greater rest coming. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from him. Let us therefore strive to enter into that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What he is saying is that Jesus is the one in whom we find rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised land. And so the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, they were hoping that their salvation would come from conquering this region of land. But when they get there, we quickly find in the book of Judges that things don't go according to plan. Things don't go well. Because ultimately, our hope is not that one day we will have land. Our hope is one day that we will be with Christ. Our hope is that one day we can have trust that Christ will make all things right again. And so I think John is communicating in his opening story of his book is that John the Baptist was faithfully in the wilderness. John the Baptist was faithfully committed to doing the work. He was faithfully cre- uh, preparing a way for God. And that leads us right to, through baptism, through the baptism that John was offering, that leads us right to Christ. And that ultimate fulfillment of everything that the Jews had been hoping for comes through the person and word of Jesus Christ. Even this initial story of John is saying, ultimately, that hope that we were, that we were looking for, that, that inner longing we have for things to be made right, is only going to be found in Christ. It's not going to be in the things of this world. It's not going to be from, you know, having the best technology. It's not going to be from having that more money. It's not going to be from anything else we can do. The only way we will be sustained, the only way we will find hope, the only way we will find rest is that we trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I think that's how we can continue to be faithful in being who God called us to be. Again, the opening question was, what, what about when it doesn't feel like my faithfulness is being rewarded? Well, we have to remember that the personal work of Jesus Christ is what's going to accomplish everything we hope. I'm not going to be able to solve world hunger. I know Christ well. So I'm going to be faithful in the way that I can feed people. I know I'm not going to solve the conflict in Ukraine or the conflict in any other part of the world, but I can be faithful and do God's work, and I know that one day that Christ will make it all right. And so our hope is not that we're going to fix things. Our, our reality is that we need to be faithful where God has us to affect our community, to affect our world right where we are, and then one day Christ will make it all right again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your work and we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it's not up to us to make all things right again. That's truly up to you. I pray that you teach us to be faithful. That you teach us through the the witness of people like John that our job is just to be faithful people who prepare the way for you to do the real work. And we pray that um, you help us grow in these things and learn to love you more and to be a light in our communities. And we praise these things in your son's name.